Welcome to the Behind the Goals podcast, episode three. Today, Andrew and I are going to be talking to David Nicholl from SMISA, uh, the St Mirren uh, Independent Supporters Association, more commonly known as the, as the Trust there, who own close to 30% of the club and I've got a deal to purchase the majority of the club from the, the major shareholder over the next 10 years. It's a great chat uh, and hope you're going to enjoy it. Really enjoyed having Dave on the podcast. Um, known Dave for a long time since Smizer have been a member of Supporters Direct Scotland and um, they've, they've really kicked on in the last couple of years with their Buy the Buds campaign, which was a really exciting time. In the interview, we go going to talk a little bit about some of the factors that led to them buying the club or, or, or agreeing the long-term ownership of it, some of the things that they've done differently since they've, they've had that deal. Um, and we hope you enjoy it. I think there's loads to be learned there from a trust that are in that process and, and taking on the long-term ownership. So today we've been joined by Dave Nicholl from uh, Smizer, St Mirren uh, Supporters Trustees, although you don't call yourself a Supporters Trust as such, do you? Well, we do sometimes use the term Supporters Trust, but uh, I think the official name is Smizer Supporters Association, St Mirren Supporters Association, or more confusingly, our official title is the 1877 Society yeah. Limited. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but thanks for having me on. No, no. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for, uh, for joining us. So I suppose first thing to say is you're Supporter Director at the club as well. Yep, yep. So I uh, joined the St Mirren Club Board in summer of 2016. I'd been involved with Supporters Trust uh, for a couple of years before that and was involved in the, the buyout that happened in uh, partnership with Gordon Scott, who was a former director of the club and, and took over in the summer of 2016 along with Supporters Trust. And we have a long-term plan to, to move ownership to completely supporter-owned uh, over so, 10 years from there. I, being part of that buyout, Gordon asked me initially to join the board on an interim basis and then was elected uh, at, at the end of 2016 to serve for two years on the board. So I've been, I've been on the board for 18 months, six months interim and then a year elected so far. And the support shareholding there is 25, 30% just now, is that right? 29%. Okay. Uh, so we, we owned about four, three and a half, four percent 4% until last summer. And then as part of the deal with Gordon, Gordon bought 50% of the shares in the club, or rather, he sorry, he originally owned 7%, so he bought 43% to take him to 50%. We originally owned about 4%, and we bought 25 to take us to, to about 29 So, yeah. So that's the kind of the breakdown. And then the remaining, the remainder of the shares is owned by other supporters anyway. You know, there's another 800 small shareholders, so, so there's no other major shareholder at St Mirren now. This is an interesting one because the two that we've done previously, two podcasts we've done, have both been about um, clubs that have been, well, the first one was with an author about fan ownership across across England. And the second one was with Lewis FC, who are 100% community owned. But this one's a bit different because you're not quite under community ownership, are you? So you've got kind of a 10-year plan and you're about a year into that. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, the, 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 as I say, the plan, the plan is from 2016, 10 years by 2026, uh, we have an agreement with with Gordon that we will buy him out at the same price that he paid in summer okay. two thousand sixteen. So it's 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 uh, it's kind of that's all locked in. There is the potential if we raise the funds earlier that we could p- potentially trigger the the takeover earlier. But I think I'm kind of in two minds about that. On one hand, it would be great to move to community ownership earlier, but on the other hand, I think it's a it's a it's a big move and there's a learning curve and we need to make sure that when we do it, we do it right. Mm-hmm. So is that, I, I suppose, 10 years, a lot, lots, lots can change in 10 years. Um, we could be in the Champions League. Well, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, it could be a great deal if, you know, yeah. if, if, if Scottish football has really come on leaps and bounds in 10 years' time and the whole value of clubs have shot up. I mean, it's yeah. quite a, 
it's quite a risky thing as well because it could have go the opposite way. I guess. So uh, I guess that's less likely. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, you never know. I mean, last season, we obviously came pretty close to to being relegated to uh, to the third tier to to League One, which would have been the first time in our history that we'd been there, and 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 that definitely was a quite a stressful time for everybody, you know, at the football club and also in the Sporters Trust. Um, it would have been uh, quite upsetting to have taken over and within 12 months have led the club to their, lo- to their lowest ever <laughs> league placing but, uh, or lo- lowest, uh, into the lowest uh, division, I should say. But um, So it could go either way. But I think that one of the challenges when, when, when you're doing uh, a community ownership or a takeover is val- value of a football club. What value do you put on that? And that was actually something Sporters Direct helped us with mm. uh, during, the, during the, the bid period. But but I think that what what was became clear is you, it's hard to put a monetary value on a football club, but it is worth what its supporters are willing to pay for it, um, and what what can the community raise? What is uh, sort of feasible and 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 sustainable? Mm. And I think that the the deal we did in the end, and that was one of the crucial things, is a sustainable and fair price for, uh, you know, a football club like St Mirren in the heart of a town like Paisley. Mm. That you know, so yeah, we could be in the Champions League. It would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Equally, we could be in League Two if everything's gone terribly wrong. And and you know, there's always an element of luck in football. But um, we hope, we hope we're not there. But but I think the price that we've agreed to pay, and the price we've we've kind of locked in at, rep- reflects more the value of the club to the community than mm-hmm. actually the club's standing in, in in any particular season or 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 period of of of, of time. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's about it's about this is about a hundred years rather than the yeah. the two or three years. And in the in the intervening period in between having yeah come to that come to that agreement and ten years later, uh, is the club self sustaining? Um, yes, yeah. Okay. So the the club the club the club has no no debt at the moment. Uh, it it runs on a kind of break even model. We try to do a break even each year, break even cash model. I should say there is a depreciation on the assets, which do, does mean the club will sometimes. Uh, run at a slight loss, but it's like an on paper loss yeah. rather than a cash yeah. loss. But but we try to work in a break even each year, um, or or over a kind of period of three or four years, so that we're we're relatively balanced. The club doesn't have any loans. Occasionally in the past, there has been the need for uh, directors' loans to oversee um, cash flow bumps. A lot of football clubs, particularly of our size, sort of struggle with that. But kind of January, February, March time when the season ticket money from the previous year has run out, but the prize money for this current season has not come yeah. in. There's like a bit of a gap, and 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 uh, historically the directors have have had to uh, put a little bit in their in their uh, into the club to cover that. It's not huge amounts of money, you know. You're you're talking maybe a hundred thousand pounds, fifty thousand pounds, something like that. So it's not compared to the turnover of the, of the business, it's not massive. But but other than that small issue, the the club's self self sustaining. Yeah. How how did the the bid come around? Obviously, you've been members of Sport Direct for a while, so we've we've known each other for a while. But perhaps you could just tell us a little bit about what the what the trust was looking like at the time when you decided to to create the Buy the Buds campaign. Yeah. So it was uh, there was an element of uh, fortune to it. I would say. There had been a previous attempt to do a kind of supporter buyout at St Mirren, ten thousand hours. Uh, by a guy called Richard Atkinson, um, it didn't go ahead, and there were there were a number of issues and a number of reasons uh, why that happened. But what it did do was it it kind of proved the concept for that there was an appetite for supporter ownership. What Richard had managed to do was he did get a thousand supporters to sign up uh, with direct debit mandates, ready to to draw the money down um, if the deal had been done. So it, it in the minds of the St Mirren support, it had been 
this concept had been proved mm-hmm. and 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 uh, there was the willingness to to support a, a, such a uh, such a model that kind of but the, because as I say there was a few issues with the, with that with the approach that that Richard had taken that did leave a bit of a, a scar on the support there was a bit of a split and kind of some people felt it was the right thing to do some people felt that it wasn't and uh, and so we a kind of few years went by where nothing much really happened the board were still trying to sell the the the, the old board had put the club up for sale shortly after we moved stadium and had been trying to sell for a number of years. And in the end, when we took over in, I think, 2016, I think they'd been trying to sell for the best part of seven years. Mm. And the club during that time had kind of gone through probably a period of continued decline. And we'd, we'd, we'd kind of struggled just by the fact that the the board, I think, I was was on something else. They, their focus was on selling the club. So kind of all of these things were, were kind of on the background and in the, in the precursor to it. I would, I think, probably about 2000 and early 2015 late 2014 uh, a couple of us were were talking about the idea of well somebody's going to buy St Mirren at some point someone's going to buy this and there's really only two uh, there was well, three 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 people are going to buy your football club in in 2015 or 2016 uh, it's either going to be somebody who is going to screw you over <laughs> you know and you've yeah. got you've got uh, you've got plenty of examples of that in in Scottish football plenty of recent examples you've got the supporters or you've got a, a, a knight in shining armour. Mm. And the club had been up for sale for seven years and the knight in shining armour hadn't turned up yeah. yet. <laughs> so uh, so we figured at that point it was either going to be us or or we were, there was the potential that we might end up in, in some trouble. And there, there were interested parties in the club right up to the point in which we bought it mm. who you know, would have been probably most likely foreign owners um, who may have been absolutely fine, but, but I think... Uh, our experience in Scottish football suggests more often than not that doesn't work out particularly well. So so that was kind of the background to what had happened. We started to look at a kind of feasibility model for the supporters' trust to buy it. Of course, the big issue for, for, for supporters' trusts uh, buying football clubs is funding. Where do you get the money from, the, particularly the initial investment to buy that? By coincidence or luck or fate, well, uh, Gordon Scott, who was a former director, was also looking at the club at the same time. But he had a kind of limit on how much he was willing to put into it. Uh, and what we managed to do, uh, we, we kind of got, got together with him and we managed to agree a deal where he would put together the bulk of the initial funding. We would put, he would put about two thirds of the initial funding down. We would put a third of it. And then after 10 years, we would buy out, uh, you know, we'd buy out his, his initial funding. So so that was kind of how it all came together uh, originally. And, uh, you know, it wasn't simple from there, you know, although we kind of got the basic concept together quite early on. It took the best part of 18 months worth of negotiation and, and tweaking and and, uh, and campaigning as well from the supporters' trust to get people to sign up. And who did the trust and, and Gordon Scott buy that sh- that, that share from? So, was it a single owner? No, so it was, a, it was, a, group, it was a, a group of owners. So um, the the old board had kind of got together, there was, I think there was five of them, and they'd formed a company, Douglas Street Limited, where they'd collected 52% of the shares and they'd put them together, to, which would give, a, you know, obviously a, a, a controlling stake in the club. They'd put that up for sale. Um, and as I say, they did that about, I think about 2009, something like that. They, they put that up for sale shortly after we, we moved stadium. And when we moved stadium, we cleared the debt um, that the club had the club owned its own stadium we'd just signed a long term lease on, a, on a, a pretty modern training facility the club was in really good shape um, and they felt 
it, that, that they'd kind of done their bit and it was time to, to move on. And, and to, be, to, to be absolutely fair to them, to give them credit, they took a club in the mid-1990s that was in, in trouble and, and at risk of a, a, a guy called uh, Reg Brealey at that time was trying to take the club over and, and, and uh, the supporters had been getting letters and calls from various groups down south telling them that this guy was bad news and he was going to asset strip the club. So the, the directors that we bought from had had basically blocked him from taking it over at the time. So, they you know we have to give them credit for everything they did. They saved the club in the mid nineties. They you know and by the time they sold in two thousand sixteen, they'd cleared the debt, built a new stadium, and got us a, a long term lease on on a, a training facility and and developed a youth academy, which is producing top talent and continues to to feed into our team. So so a lot of credits due for 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 them. But but so it was a group of sort of five former directors got together at that point and said okay we we want to we want out we want our we want our pensions and uh, and and they'd put it up for sale since they put it up for sale though and by their own admission they were quite tired uh, things did start to go a little bit stale and and the club did i think suffer from sort of short term decisions and and uh, short term decision making and 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 was uh, was starting to go down a road that was that we'd seen other clubs go down and and, and looked a bit dangerous one one thing i think that um you know, a lot of football clubs, when supporter owners, uh, supporters club together to buy it out, tend to be in a moment of crisis. Mm. We certainly weren't at a moment of crisis, but Gordon uh, put it quite nicely when he said we'd finished below Morton for the first time in twenty years, and if that isn't a crisis, I don't know what is. <laughs> it's a rally so yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, so, but that that was kind of that that was kind of the background of 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 where we kind of came together. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, you mentioned that. Something I was going to talk about. I mean, I think St Mary must be the first supporters trust that have gone and bought a club in Scotland, certainly, or have agreed agreed a deal to buy the club um, when they've not been in a crisis. You know, all the other examples have been when there's been a lot of financial difficulties, and you've mm. done it from a position of strength. Yeah. So, what was the um, what was the kind of selling point for the the members to get involved? Was there? I mean, what? How did you encourage sign ups? So, I think the. We weren't we weren't in a crisis. You're absolutely right. The club was fine and continued continued to to run on a break even business and uh, break even basis, but as I said, there was the point that this is going to be sold to somebody. Mm. So so that was really probably the the part of the rallying call, um and 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 I think some people probably didn't believe us when we said that, mm. but it but it it was pretty close a couple of times to being sold, uh and and. You know that that was kind of we weren't in crisis, but we I guess we were trying to avoid being in crisis was really the, the 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 first the first point, and as I said before that we the concept had already been proven that people wanted to do this so so the sell to the supporters actually wasn't all that hard I mean you, we needed to explain to them the logistics of how it was going to work mm-hmm. we tried to keep it as simple as we could and that's something I would always suggest to anybody that was considering doing this is mm-hmm. keep it as really as simple as you can because you're going to have a range of people who are interested from somebody who wants to understand the mechanics and the contractual details of absolutely everything you're going to do to somebody who's like, I don't care, I just want the fans to own my football club. You need to be able to explain it to both of those people. Um, if you make it too complicated, you're going to lose a chunk of the support who say that's too difficult for me to to, to, to engage with. Mm-hmm. Um, but even at, even at that, you know, even though I felt we kept it reasonably simple, we still... Uh, you know, we still had had people in the on the radio and on Radio Scotland. Uh, you know, sort of pundits saying, "Oh, it won't work. It won't work," because yeah. you know our, our goal was to get a thousand fans to sign up, and they were saying, "Oh, a thousand fans? How's that? How many players' wages is that going to pay?" Uh-huh. You know, so just fundamentally misunderstanding the concept. <laughs> yeah, so, sure. so, but in terms of selling it to the to the supporters, I think 
it, it, we, we held public meetings. We had uh, quite a big online presence on Facebook and, uh, and Twitter and so on. Um, we we handed out leaflets and flyers and, and as I say, we kept it as simple as we possibly mm-hmm. could, kept it straightforward as we could. Um, and and there was the appetite was just there. People wanted people wanted this and they wanted a change. That was one of the big selling points for us. Was was, was really was the the staleness and the the, the yeah. downward spiral we've been on for the past three or four or five years. This will stop it one way or another. You know, this will be the the end of that yeah. um, that that kind of uh, sinking feeling. <laughs> so having having got the thousand fans to sign up. Uh, presumably, they they're making some sort of financial commitment in the ten on that ten year journey. How do you keep how do you keep them engaged with the need to transfer and to support our ownership? Particularly, I'm thinking of last season when your your club and my club were both kind of duking it out to see who would get uh, bumped down to League One. And how does how does supporter ownership remain a priority for you and 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 to sell it to your fans when there's that. There's that temptation to you know another ten grand will pay the wages of a of a striker to come in for the last three months of the season, for example. Sure. So, uh, so yeah, well, I, and actually that was something that we did consider. But the the um, the the way our model works is is that our the bulk of our members we've got three membership tiers. We had people who paid two and a half thousand pounds up front, which gave them ten years membership and a number of a number of particular benefits. But that gave us enough. We had about thirty of them and that gave us enough to put the put the down payment to make uh, you know to, to kind of do the deal. We then have about I think it's about 120, 130 that are paying twenty five pounds a month. And they get entered into special draws, certain um experiences and things and certain events that so so that's kind of their their benefit. And then the core membership we've got about uh, twelve hundred or so, which pay twelve pounds a month. So, for those twelve hundred, ten pounds a month goes into a pot, which is buying the shares. But two two pounds of that goes into what we call a member discretionary fund. Ah, okay. So then, every three months, all of our members get to vote on. We've collected this money. It's usually, each three months, it's usually about eight thousand pounds, eight to ten thousand pounds. Collected this money. What do you want to spend it on? Do you want to spend right, it on, right. you know, a community uh, project? Do you want to spend it on something for the stadium? Um, and and in fact, in January two thousand and seventeen, we spent <laughs> we we put ten thousand pounds into the player that's, budget. That's what put us <laughs> So that was in the end was a difference. That was the that was the one point difference. Or whatever. Got a current plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody we can do it later over. So uh, it, that that so and we did speak with with, with supporters direct uh, about that, and we did acknowledge that that's not something you really want to do on a regular basis with supporters' money. The, the the point of that fund is supposed to be things which can uh, further the football club, can develop the football club, and can and can enhance the links between the football club and the community. We felt at the time that the club was faced with a pretty perilous situation. We we're in a quite an unusual position because we had an obligation to buy this club, and as we talked about earlier on, the the value of that asset would have greatly depreciated yeah. if we'd if we'd if we'd if we'd gone gone down the division, or at least on paper would have depreciated. As I mentioned earlier, I think it's, it's somewhat intangible to value to the community, um, and also if we had gone down, we were pretty sure the first things that the club would have had to cut would have been things like community projects. Youth Academy, these kind of these kind of uh, programs. So, as a kind of one off, we felt it was oh, it was uh, we we could we could square the circle for ourselves. Uh, but yeah, we we did accept that it's not something you want to be doing on a regular basis. It's uh, uh, plenty of people 
and plenty of very wealthy people have lost a lot of money uh, by throwing yeah. it throwing it into football clubs, and yeah. we 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 don't intend to do the same with with, uh, with fans' money. But but that quarterly spend um, keeps fans engaged. That that's what yeah. keeps people interested and engaged. Communication is the other big thing, um, which is is interesting. That's been a big change at the football club since uh, Gordon and the trust took over. Gordon has put out every month a chairman's update, and he's. He's almost brutally honest in his chairman's update. He, he, he you know, he, he tells the whole process of how things happened. He tells the things that, that we as a board got right and got wrong. Sometimes you're you're squirming a little bit reading it as he's <laughs> explaining. Well, we thought this, but we were totally wrong, you know. But but you've got to admire his honesty, yeah. and and I think that that actually helps helps keep fans engaged and the supporters trust also. We obviously do regular communication with our with our members, but we're really helped by how open uh, Gordon actually is with the yeah. fans as well, and and he he kind of gets the idea and he acknowledges the need to engage with fans, which which makes them feel closer to the football club and feel part of it. So wh- when we when we were uh, you know kind of looking staring the, the relegation down in the face, actually we were expecting a little bit of a waiver in our member numbers but they, they held pretty strong and in fact increased one month I think they increased in sort of February or March last year yeah. so um, people people responded to the fact that the club was potentially in a bit of trouble and said no we're, we, we're sticking with this path we know this is yeah. the right thing for the long term mm-hmm. you, you talked about the I mean the, the £2 spend thing I, I, that's the first trust I've ever seen do that and I think that's a brilliant a brilliant additional thing because most, most trusts we were talking earlier. We charge an annual membership fee. You charge a monthly membership yeah, fee, yeah. and and as you say, two of two pound of that twelve pound goes to a little pot, which every quarter gets spent. Which I think is great to see get kind of democracy in action. We always talk about supporters trust being yeah, democratic yeah. organisers. So you know, I remember being having the option to vote for how they want to see that spend. Just tell us some of the things that you spent on so far. Yeah. So yeah, exactly right. It's it's, it's that democracy in action. It's engagement. And it also means we can invite members to suggest ideas, you know. So, uh, but but so the first thing we did, which is the thing I'm probably most proud of, was we built a, a platform for a disabled uh, supporters viewing platform. St Mirren, like most football clubs, um, the the wheelchair fans are, are basically at the front of the stand. Yeah, at pitch level. We don't, some clubs have got the kind of bus shelters, we don't really have that, but they're, they're, they're kind of sat at the, the, front, the front row and are quite... Um, exposed to the elements so we built at the top of the main stand at the back row of the main stand took about sort of three or four rows we built this raised uh, elevated concrete structure um, with space for wheelchairs space for about 10 wheelchairs and uh, 10 uh, seats beside them for uh, for any assistance that they might need Um, and that had been planned for a couple of years before we took over actually but the club just couldn't find the money to do it it was never a priority And, and you know, as, as painful as that is to say, that is true of, of most football clubs that provided they're complying with whatever uh, regulation, you know, making it better is, is never going to be top priority. Yeah. So so for the fans to be able to say, well, do you know what, we've got a bit of money, yeah. we can make it our priority. And the first thing we did was we was, was the fans paid for that. So that that was just fantastic to be able to deliver that and deliver it so quickly. Um, after taking over, so that, that that was the first thing I mentioned that we obviously uh, invested some money in the playing squad. We um, trying to think some of the other things we did. We 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 have built a wall outside the stadium. Haven't yeah, you? so we we built a wall outside the stadium, which has got the names of all the members um, who had signed up to the to to, to the takeover. And it's actually we we intend to ex- extend that in the future uh, with with sort of new members that have signed up since um, since the takeover. We, we we invested some money for the club to uh, create a, a new position 
for a sports analyst and and sports scientist uh, from the uh, from the sort of local university. So we kind of almost created a job, which which is is part time, of course, but it's uh, again it's it's sort of something something that we're able to attract a bit of uh, value and and a bit of community uh, links by by creating actually create employment, you know, mm-hmm. in, in in a very small way. Um and and there's there's a load of other uh, things that we we've done kind of smaller things we've sort of put so we gave some money to a uh, to food bank uh, last Christmas, um we've given uh, money to a couple of youth football teams as well yeah. for, uh, either for kit for one of the teams and for another one to run classes for uh, uh for kids in the St Mirren Dome so uh, underprivileged kids get to go to these classes for free. Mm-hmm. Um and 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 as well as at the same time we've also put a little bit into the youth academy to give them some stuff for some equipment, and our own community programs as well. We've given them some money. So the the two pound spend is great because it allows us to do all of these uh, these kind of add ons, these nice to haves that that ultimately uh, and honestly the club would just not be able to afford to do. To me, one of the things that, that sounds really powerful about that is that it you get to know what your fans really care about as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you're giving them you're giving them the voice on a quarterly basis, and if you've got a ten year journey towards ownership, you'll have forty occasions where you know exactly what your fans are going to value. Yeah, and that gives you an awful lot of information and intelligence and about how how the rest of the football club runs as well and its role in a, in the community and you know you know what. Bias people have towards youth football, towards you know any other sort of mm-hmm. initiative that I might might be had there. It, it, it does, and we also did a a survey in the summer this year to kind of try and quantify some of that as well. And and the, the, the you know the two things you mentioned there, youth, youth football, youth academy, it comes really pretty highly. It's it's where the fans really want to see the, you know this initiative uh, uh, helping. And um, the other interesting thing was the 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 money for the. Uh, for the first team, really, really split. Mm-hmm. It, w- it went between kind of people who said this is absolutely and the only thing we should ever spend this money on is money for the first <laughs> team, and people saying we should absolutely never spend this money on the first <laughs> team. So uh, that one is definitely, uh, definitely divisive. <laughs> uh, but as I say, we, it's not something we would generally recommend. So exceptional circumstances. As Correct. Yeah, teams yeah. Uh, down at the bottom of the That's table. It. And yes. And yeah, it paid yeah. off. Yeah. Well, it paid off. Yeah, because we had the <laughs> we had the <laughs> great <laughs> escape. Yeah. Sorry to rub that in, but uh, we had the great escape, which. Yeah, which was, which was pretty spectacular. Yeah. So just just going uh, back to the takeover itself, what at what point did the the board of Saint Mirren at the time kind of consider Samizes to be a, a really credible option, and 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 who did you have on the board? Who did you who did you think you needed to add to the board to make that credible with them as well? So yeah, I th- I think that probably we started talking to them. I would I would say early two thousand fifteen, but there wasn't a lot of yeah, I think just as you put it there, they didn't hold a lot of weight with Smyzer. They weren't convinced this would happen. Um, they were kind of entertaining the discussion without really driving it forward. By the time we got to summer two thousand fifteen, things were moving forward a little bit faster, but you know, still a little bit of a challenge. During during that period, kind of, I would say just before that, it, I joined the Smyzer board. A guy, Colin Orr, joined a couple of others at the same time as well. Um, and probably we just brought a bit of freshness to the board. Smyza had been on the go for about 20 years before that, or 15 years before that. And it had been quite often the same the same guys who'd done a fantastic job in running a supporters' trust. They'd built up a pretty good reserve. 
they had you know done a good job with some good initiatives and, and some good member engagement but they didn't have the appetite to to look at a, you know a, a takeover and and one one or two of them I think probably did but felt they didn't have the the numbers or the, or the strength mm. to do that and I think when uh, Colin myself and and George Adam who who's the local MSP we all kind of joined the board roughly at the same time and kind of gave the other guys on the board a bit more confidence that okay there's there's more people here they want to do this as well we've maybe now got the strength and numbers that we can really look at that and so we kind of grew as a board over 2015 and actually kind of probably came to a punch a pinch point at uh, kind of the end of 2015 we'd can negotiations had had picked up and then slowed right down and we got to a point where we weren't sure if this was going to take off or not uh, at that point, actually, we were engaging quite a lot with Sporters Direct, and that's when we got the uh, financial study mm. carried out. We 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 engaged with uh, one of Sporters Direct partners to do a uh, through the Club Development Scotland yep. to do a to Nick. do a, yep. uh, a a financial analysis of the of the club, and try and give us as best they could uh, a value of the club. But again, coming back to the discussion we had earlier, it's easier said than done. But what that report and then subsequent uh, discussions uh, did was they, they kind of cleared about the logjam that we had at that point by saying okay it gave us confidence that yes the business is okay and it, it wasn't it wasn't full due diligence or anything like that but it was enough to kind of draw a line and say you're you're not mad yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. this is okay you, what you're doing seems sensible the information you've got seems correct uh, you you're, you're going down the right road can keep going yeah. and uh, and so that was about christmas 2015 and from from there we we just kind of kicked on that that probably i would say was when the board the st mirren board mm. and selling uh, consortium started to, to take us kind of seriously mm. and, and 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 things kind of moved quite quickly then over the next six months um or really i think for the, for the supporters watching it they felt it was taking forever for us behind the scenes things were going at 100 miles an hour you know um it, to the point where actually when we when we were, when we were doing the deal and we were trying to get it done in time for uh, the start of the 2016-17 season and, and and we kind of did but justin no more um I think the selling consortium were starting to get a wee bit frustrated by the pace they were hoping to kind of get it done a, a few months earlier um we felt probably it was it was it was me and the supporters trust that were dragging our heels a little bit that time because we felt it was really important that we get this right yeah. we don't want to sign up to this mm-hmm. and and then we find out in three months time oh wait a minute we've dropped a clanger here and and we've you know we've made a, a major error so they were i think they were selling consortium were kind of like everything's fine let's just get it done and we were like we believe everything's fine and we think everything's fine, but let's just double check. But that, that period then, kind of spring to summer 2016, was, was really, really intense negotiation on, on the price, on payment terms, on uh, the, contract, the contract, the share purchase agreement that we would agree with the sellers. But also at the same time, in parallel, we were negotiating a shareholders agreement with Gordon, which would which which contains the our, our uh, right to buy his shares over over ten years and various other protections and rights in that you know in that Gordon will take the majority shareholding of the club but he's not allowed to do things like he can't change his name he can't sell the stadium he can't change the articles without first agreeing with uh, supporters trust so and and a, and a bunch of other things as well in there one of which is that the supporters trust will be represented on the board mm. so so we were kind of negotiating two major. 
uh, agreements in parallel, yeah. uh, which 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 took a lot of time, and uh, and and we, we had, you know had to make sure we were doing doing that that right. Sort of leads nicely into so the, as part of the deal the fact that you you now do have a fan on the board there, yeah, which is yourself. Yeah. At first yeah. as an interim, and then you were elected earlier this year. How have you how have you found that as a challenge from going from the club not having a having that position to to now having a fully elected position there? Yeah, it's it's been it's been a, a kind of roller coaster year or, or eighteen months. That obviously the, the we talked a bit about uh, the challenges we had last season, and that was that was pretty pretty stressful, you know, to to kind of go onto the board and then immediately be disaster planning almost, you know. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's the the thing that you you that I've learned very quickly is how unpredictable football clubs are. Your 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 responsibility as a director to the shareholders not just to the supporters trust as a shareholder but to to all of the shareholders is that you run the business correctly mm-hmm. i I'm, i kind of come from quite an analytical background so I, I you know i'm immediately sort of saying okay let me see the contracts we've got let me see the accounts we've got how is this what's our cash flow plan these kind of things to try and get that certainty that yes this club's in a good place and yes i'm confident that we can manage it in the right way mm-hmm. but you see these documents and you go well there's so much unpredictability and uncertainty in this that how can you possibly say with any guarantee that, that this is you know is the right decision or, or not? So, what I've personally had to, to learn to deal with being comfortable with an element of uncertainty and 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 so much of it, of course, depends on what happens on the pitch. Mm. So you know you have a good you have a good month mm. and the fans are coming, and everything's great. Uh, you have a bad month and a couple of hundred fans stay at home and and suddenly it's a little bit tight. So, um, so so that that was a big learning curve, a steep learning curve. I've been lucky though as well because Gordon is, as I mentioned earlier, is is keen to engage with supporters. Mm. So that that's made a lot of my job easier. You know, I, I'm in the boardroom and I'm you know often sort of about to volunteer the opinion of well, have we thought about what the fans will think about this? Have we thought about how's this going to impact on the support? And and Gordon will almost say it for me, you know. So so um, I think St Mirren fans. Have been pretty pleased with the the regular communication. He does a monthly monthly update, um, and I think they've been pretty pleased with that level of communication and and his availability. So, uh, you know that that part has actually not been too too much of a challenge, but it but it is also you know the the, the third thing that I guess is that's important is the managing the relationship between the supporters trust and the club, and that 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 can be difficult at times because sometimes they are, uh, they have differences of opinion. And I'll I'll go to the the football club board meetings and explain the opinion of the sports trust, and then I have to come to the supporters trust meeting and explain the opinion of the football club, and and sometimes you're playing a little bit piggy in the middle. But 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 what we've started doing uh, just recently is we've started arranging kind of try to do it once a quarter a meeting between the supporters trust board and the football club board. So whilst I'll still perform that role of of kind of shuttling between them and making sure that everybody's informed and and communicating, we also have an opportunity for everybody to meet. And and kind of have a proper conversation, and and I think that's good not just from a kind of communication on issues, but also about helping people work together. You know, you yeah. see the person; yeah. it's not just somebody at the other end of an email or the other end of a phone. It's it's somebody you know who it is, and you're able to have a conversation with. I, them. I guess having that sort of dialogue built into your relationship uh, prevents your role from just being you know that focal point that communicates between the two organisations mm. and yeah. you can actually play a full role as a director of the company mm. yes, rather yeah. than just being a supporters representative which I think some sometimes when fans go into the boards of the football club they get unfairly 
just put in that box there. Mm-hmm. So your role is just to keep the fans happy yeah, and yeah, leave yeah. the rest of the business to us. Yeah. It sounds definitely from what you're talking about, you've got a much wider role than that, which is, I think is very healthy. Yeah, I mean, Gordon, Gordon was pretty clear at the start. He said that he, he, he felt that the primarial function that I would perform, of course, was the supporters' representative, but he also wanted me to contribute to the other parts of the club you know and, and if you know and certainly in the decision making process and whenever we make any decisions on on anything at the football club you know I'm, I'm consulted and, and vote on that um but also if the, if i see ways that we can improve the club or i see opportunities for development or or commercial opportunities he he's actively asking us to bring those to board meetings and and try and uh, you know try and bring that on so it's so it's important i think that you know, whoever comes on to do this role after me is, is is able to do those those things as well. You know, it's not it's about re- representing the supporters first and foremost, of course, but also it's about showing that supporter owners or supporters can own and run football yeah. clubs yeah. well. Yeah. You know, it's it, it's not just about banging the table when you're not happy with ticket pricing. You know, and um, you've also got a supporter liaison officer at the club, and I think for a lot of a lot of um, supporters there's a bit of confusion as to where some of those positions start and stop and perhaps you could just give a breakdown of where you see the two roles lying in terms of having a supporter director and a supporter liaison officer and not that it's a bad thing at all I no that's a great thing it's a great it's a great thing it's a great thing and it helps me as well because as you said there are the two roles are a little bit different and, and they perform different functions we we've got we've got two slos at the at the club because it's a, a voluntary position so it's it thought it'd be a little bit unfair to expect one person to do that full time and and it maybe you know would, would be a bit a bit intense amount of time required so we've got two that kind of share it um and the i guess the way i see it there is a bit of overlap but the way i see it is that the the slo's role is really for kind of immediate f- uh, fan and match day related activities uh, to do with the fans interacting day to day with the football club you know, I I know that when we when we have our pre ops meeting before games, our SLO goes along to that, mm-hmm. to to speak with the security and the police at the club, and then also um, we'll we'll speak with some of the, the supporters groups. Like we've got a a a group of sort of a singing section to try and bring a little bit of atmosphere to 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 the stadium, uh, who are doing an absolutely fantastic job. Of, you know, I must say, um, and and so he goes and he speaks to those guys as well, and makes sure that they are. You know, kind of comfortable with the club's uh, positions on certain things, and and uh, but also make sure that they know where the line is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, to 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 not to avoid getting the club into any trouble. So, so the SLO, I guess, is is I would say more immediate match day fan experience uh, type things. He also liaises with uh, when we travel. He liaises with the SLO at the uh, the away club, which is a, a really useful thing as well in in making sure that. Everything goes smoothly, and we had a, we had an issue, for example, I think earlier this season with uh, ticketing at Dunfermline. They had just started a new uh, a digital, uh, what do you call it, a barcode scanner yeah, at the yeah, ticket, yeah. and we had we had a whole bunch of issues. So the the, the they had big queues, and 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 so our SLO then spoke with their SLO, and and, and they managed to kind of kind of work out for for future future games how they were going to avoid that that issue reoccurring so that's i think that's really useful for the supporters to have somebody like that and and, and they're contactable and, and accessible mm-hmm. and then i would say my role is different from that because it's more about the long term and it's about the the structure of the business and about the structure of the company and the club and how that operates 
bearing in mind that the supporters are the, the, the lifeblood. So making sure that the decisions, the strategic decisions that the club take, you know, whether that's, you know, about, uh, you know, uh, the structure of the, of the company or whether it's about employee, employees or, you know, the, um, you know, the companies that we use, if we outsource things, it's about using my influence in those decisions to make sure the supporters are considered mm. and that, they, that they're, not, uh, they're not an afterthought. Mm. We can't always do things that the, the fans are going to like. You know, you're going to have to take some decisions that the fans are going to be unhappy with. Mm. Uh, but I think it's important that they're at least considered as part of that process and 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 as as acknowledged. And we, and we won't get it always right. As as the other thing, I think both in the SLO and and myself will will make mistakes. We're learning, and and indeed the the rest of the the new board at, at St Mirren are we're learning all the time, and and we haven't got everything right over the past eighteen months, but. I hope we're getting more right than wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I suppose just the, the last question then is you're, you're into the deal, one year into the deal, sorry. You've got another nine to come. Have you got any idea of what the club's going to look like when that handover takes place or what kind of, um, what, what kind of research will you be undertaking to, to, to show what that kind of changeover is going to look like? Well, that, that's something that I'm really keen to, to actually work on probably over over the next couple of years is just to, to pull together a, a kind of paper to, to explain what that might look like. I think the, the, the really important thing that we need to get across is it's about fan ownership. Uh, it's not necessarily about the fans running the club on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. It's about the fans owning the majority stake for protection. Mm-hmm. If the fans own the majority stake of that community asset, then it means the club's never going to be owned by somebody who doesn't have the club's best interests at heart. It's always going to be owned by the supporters. And that, in turn, will bring an ethos to the club of it being central to a community and central to the people who who own it. But the the structure and the operation of the club has to be done on a, that has to be done in a sustainable and professional business way. And and the the fans need to, I think, be able to understand that, that those two things are, are, are both important, but they are different. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the the I I would plan to kind of draw up a a, a structure as to how that I think that could work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I I wouldn't claim to be the the expert, and I wouldn't say that it is going to be. This is exactly how it must work. But I think that we should put together something that says, "Here's an idea. Let's talk about it. Let's see how it works, and and see how how we can change it to make it." Um, the way we are going to work at, at St Mirren. So that's something that I, I intend to kind of to, to produce a sort of draft like that over the next couple of years. And I think it's important that we do it early mm. in the in the deal rather than wait until year eight or nine and then we come up with it and then we're maybe scrabbling around at the last sure, minute trying sure. to agree how, how this is going to work. What I, what I would say is, you know, kind of my initial thoughts on it are that we need to have on the club board people who have the capable... Uh, and uh, the experience and who are capable of running a business. So it needs to be people with uh, the ability to read a set of accounts, people with the ability to understand a contract, yeah. uh, and, and people who understand how to, to operate a business, mm. um, as well as some people who are able to represent the supporters, uh, you know, kind of on a, on a, a kind of more grass, grassroots level. So we need to make sure that we have all of those things yeah. in place, and they can't all be completely uh, democratically elected every single year. They can't all be completely at the whim of, we've had a bad run in the pitch, let's sack everybody on the board. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you need to have your kind of mainstay of, these are the guys that are making sure the club ticks over and the business runs okay, and these are the guys who are uh, who are, are representing the supporters in, 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 in the boardroom. But 
ultimately everybody is 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 uh, answers to the majority shareholder, who at that time will be the fans. How long is your term on the board? So I will finish uh, in December two thousand and nineteen. Okay. That's that's when I that's oh, when so I end up. A long, so a long stint. Yeah, it's slightly. So it's normally normally two two years. Uh, sorry, no, I'll finish in December two thousand eighteen. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, turning into Mugabe here, so <laughs> re-electing myself before the. But as as it'll be it'll be two the, the directors tend to be on for for two years. Two years. Um, I will be slightly longer because I served the interim period at the yeah. start. But from there on, it'll be two years, and and I, I think my my plan will be uh, you know in December two thousand eighteen. I'll I'll step back and let somebody else uh, sort of experience it because I think it's important that when we get to year 10 in the plan enough people yeah. as many people as Should possible have experienced that, that yeah exactly yeah. exactly yeah excellent best of luck with that journey great thank you very it's much exciting time for the club yeah yeah so exciting to it's it's nice to be top of the league uh, you know in, in going time into the, recording yeah <laughs> <laughs> going into the January transfer window rather than last year where we were uh, we were bottom so uh, and uh, last year we we, we stayed uh, we were bottom of the league, I think, for something like thirty out of thirty-six weeks of the mm, of the season. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> barely remember there. I think it's all flooding yeah. back now. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, it never went away. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us. Thank, thank you for having appreciate me. Appreciated, and um, well, well, we'll keep in touch. Yeah, we'll absolutely. Keep, keep track of your progress. Good. Thank you. All the best. So there we go. That was David Nicholl there, who'd very kindly joined us on today's podcast. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. I think there's a lot to be learned there from supporters' trusts that are thinking about buying a club in terms of how they prepared for the bid and some of the factors that led to them putting together. What do you think, Alan? Yeah, I think it's superb. Um, I was really intrigued by that idea of the discretionary fund and that they, they make available for their members to vote about how it's used on a quarterly basis. Uh, it's the first time I've I've heard of a club doing it in that in that way with that that degree of regularity, you know, really finding out what their what their members care about, uh, and using their funds in that way to to meet any sort of priority that comes up, whether it's the emergence thing of being in a crisis relegation battle, or support something that's happening in their local community. So it's really interesting. Absolutely, and I think as I said in the podcast i think that's the first supporters trust i've heard have kind of done their membership fee like that so you know had that quite clear divide between okay 12 pound monthly membership fee 10 pound of that's going towards the ownership of the club two pound of that you know is going to go into a pot where we're going to spend that democratically i really love that idea and some of the things that they've invested in already especially the disability platform that they've got yeah. at the stadium there it's really yeah. incredible so democracy yeah. in motion it's a pretty neat way of doing it we we've always struggled at our trust of uh knowing what it is the money should be spent on and we can, it can be very easy to get to dig your heels in and say no our funds are used for this purpose and this purpose only so it's a neat way around that to say so yeah most of it is for our primary purpose but there are other things that are important to us and that we we should be able to contribute to absolutely so uh, you should be receiving this podcast on christmas day a little early christmas present for you we've survived three podcasts hopefully we'll be back in the new year with uh, the next in the series um but if you want to get in touch with us please do we welcome any feedback and um uh, and people can get in touch with us by emailing behind the goals at hotmail.com yeah we're getting some great feedback already so keep it coming and spread the word all the best merry christmas 